You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, good to see you guys today. And uh, before we get into the story that we just heard a bit of from Johnny Cash, uh, I want to talk to the ladies for just a minute. Um, ladies, have you ever had a guy ask you out on a date, and it's like the first date, and he takes you to a nice dinner, and he buys you some flowers, and then you get back to his apartment, and he has like Barry White playing, you know, something really smooth. Uh, well, that guy's got what we call an agenda, right? Or have you ever, like, uh, met a timeshare salesperson, right? And the timeshare salesperson invites you to stay in that condo, and he or she says, well, you know, uh, it's absolutely free, no strings attached, but just have a little meeting with me at the end of your stay. That person has what we call an agenda, right? You're going to end up in that room. He's going to block you from getting out of the room until you buy a timeshare. Look, everybody has an agenda. Every tribe has an agenda, whether it's the Democrats or the Republicans or uh, whether it's the Taliban or the Trekkies, everybody has an agenda going on. And you and I come to church with agendas as well. And that's why I want to ask you to consider the question right now, why are you here today? What do you want out of this experience at church today? We all have varying agendas for being here and coming to church and worshiping God. Now, we're studying the story in the Bible called Palm Sunday today, Um, and the thing about Palm Sunday you got to understand is that it was both a great declaration and a colossal misunderstanding all at the same time. Did you catch that? Palm Sunday was both a great declaration and a colossal misunderstanding of agendas. Now, in case you're new to church and you've never heard the Palm Sunday story before, basically what happened in that story is it was Jesus' grand entrance into Jerusalem as the king. And rather than coming into Jerusalem on a big war horse, Jesus is like driving a pickup into town. I mean, it was like really just a a donkey, the equivalent of a a old beat-up pickup in our day. Humbly, he comes into the city. And as he comes into the city of Jerusalem, the people shouted out, Hosanna, and they laid down these palm branches. Now, we're going to do this here in just a little while, but before we do, you got to understand that to even get what was happening on Palm Sunday, you have to understand the Roman world of oppression in which the Jewish people lived at that time. So I want to show you some uh, prominent Roman leaders. Look at the picture of Germanicus. There's a Uh, a sculpture of Germanicus, who was a prominent general and Roman leader that history tells us slaughtered the population across the Rhine. Only the destruction of the race would end the war. For 50 miles around, he destroyed with sword and flame. Neither age or sex inspired pity. And then there was Titus, not to be confused with the Titus in the Bible, but this Titus was a Roman emperor who conquered Judea 500 Uh, or more prisoners were captured daily, and the soldiers would amuse themselves by nailing prisoners onto trees and stakes, and they had like these contests to see who could torture people the most, and the winning torture invention was called crucifixion. And then there's a guy named Cassius, and Cassius enslaved over 30,000 people in an area the Bible calls Magdala. Some of you know that Jesus had a follower named Mary Magdalene who uh, was from this area, Magdala. And many of Jesus' disciples were from villages that had been desolated by the Romans. Now, who ran the Roman Empire but a series of Caesars? Caesar wasn't one guy. It was like a 
title like king. And so I want to show you just a couple of Caesars for the sake of time today. First, there's Caesar Augustus. He brought all the power of Rome together under one roof, and he ruled at the time of Jesus' birth. That's why he's significant to our conversation today. Now, in those days, the reason I'm showing you a picture of coins is because they didn't have TV, internet, and all that, so they advertised using coinage. They would put inscriptions and images and messages on the coins that they wanted to circulate throughout the Roman Empire. And so you can see on this one, you can see the horses, and you see, what, branches, We've seen these branches in another story that we've looked at today, hadn't we? And we're going to talk more about it in just a minute. But the parliament of that day called Augustus God in the flesh on earth. Prayers and sacrifices were offered to Augustus. In fact, Romans made lists of people that they had conquered that had been conquered by the divine Augustus, and they called those cities ecclesias. Some of you know that uh, in the New Testament, churches were called ecclesias. And also, uh, Virgil, an ancient writer, in his messianic eclogue prophesied about a new golden age that would happen under Caesar. In fact, they called Caesar the one who was or is to come to bring salvation to mankind. Uh, has anybody heard a slogan somewhat like that? Uh, they also had a saying, uh, there is salvation in no other name save Augustus. Of course, those of you who have read your New Testaments know that the Christians would say that there's salvation in no other name save Jesus. And then they also had a slogan in that day, Caesar is Lord. And we know that the New Testament believers would not say Caesar is Lord. They would only say Jesus is Lord. But Augustus died when Jesus was young, and the next Caesar in line would be Caesar Tiberius. He was reigning during most of Jesus' life. And the coin that you see here, it says, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. And on the other side, you see a scepter and an olive branch. Remember, olive branches are very significant to the conversation we're having today. So how would these Caesars pay for their armies? Well, they would just tax the heck out of people. And so some believe that the Jewish people during uh, this time in Jesus' day were being taxed up to 80 or 90% of their income. So you had a ton of people in the Palestine area who were living uh, in poverty because of the taxation of the day. And so during Passover, when Palm Sunday happened, the people were celebrating Passover, and what they're celebrating in Passover was the escape from Egypt, right? Have you seen Prince of Egypt, the little movie, or Ten Commandments, where God parts the sea and the Jewish people escape from Egypt as slaves there? Well, they celebrated two things. They celebrated their escape from Egypt, but they also used it as a time to express their nationalistic desires to be free from the Roman overlords who were so brutal with them. So they're expressing their desire for political freedom on Palm Sunday. And uh, we're going to look at three different gospel writers talking about the same story. And the reason I like to go to three different gospels and look is because you can find nuance and details from different gospel writers' account of the same story. And we're going to start in John chapter 12, look at verse 14. And it says, Jesus found a young donkey and he rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king, not Caesar, but your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. 
And all of those Jewish people would have known the prophecy that had been made hundreds of years before uh, by Zechariah in his book that the Jewish Messiah would come riding into town on a donkey. Now look at the next part of the story that we're going to glean from Mark's gospel, chapter 11, verse 8. It says, many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of, time, ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches. Now, you guys got these, well, we're on a budget here, so you got like one leaf, okay? In, the, in that day, uh, they had the whole branch that they would wave, and so what I want you guys to do is, if you wouldn't mind, hold up your little your leaf here, um, and uh, I'm going to have you, when I point to you, wave it around and just shout out the word Hosanna, okay? Here we go. Ready? Wave it around. Okay, pretty good. Now you have a picture. If you're waving it around, Jesus was coming down the road on this donkey, and people are shouting, Hosanna. Okay, I know it's exciting, but you can put them down. Um, Put them down right now. So what are they thinking? When these Jewish people of this day, what are they thinking? What is their agenda as Jesus is coming on the donkey, and they're waving the palm branches and shouting, Hosanna. Well, I want to give you a hint and a clue from antiquity, and I brought an ancient uh, Jewish coin, and on that coin, you can see the palm branch there, and it's not a symbol of peace and love like a lot of Christians have believed, but actually, uh, when they would wave the palm branches in the first century, it was a Jewish flag. The Romans didn't allow them to have their own flags you know, like a Texas flag or an American flag because they were conquered. And so the Jews would use these palm branches like their own flag. And when they would shout Hosanna, it was a slogan of ultra-nationalistic zealots, which meant, please save us, give us freedom, we're sick of these Romans. So when they would wave those palm branches, it was like flipping the bird to Caesar and saying, we want to be free from you, we don't want you here anymore. But the Romans didn't even understand what was going on. Now, was there anything wrong with the Jewish people wanting to be free from Roman occupation? Well, here's where they went wrong. They had a different agenda. They had a political agenda, and Jesus did not. And here's one of the things that you've got to understand. I'm going to say it twice to make sure we get it is that Jesus will not become who you and I want him to be. He will only be who he is, and he will expect you and I to submit to his eternal agenda. I'm going to repeat that in just a second, but I I think what happens is, is that we want to create a Jesus that we want Jesus to be, and he doesn't play that again. Let me repeat it. Jesus will not become who you and I want him to be. He will only be who he is, and he will expect you and I to submit to his eternal agenda. Now, look, people come to church with an agenda, don't they? You want something or you would not be here today. We have agendas that are both good and bad. And who is it that you want Jesus to be that he's not going to be today? That's what I want you to, to think about. What is your agenda? And some people come and worship and pray like it's the sales negotiation with Jesus. And so some people are like, look, Jesus, um, I came here because I'm praying so you can be my genie in a bottle and get me the exact job that I want to have. And we come 
praying and worshiping, and it's all contingent upon God giving me the job I want, or the woman I want, or the man I want, or the healing I want. And if Jesus doesn't give me what I want in the time that I want it, it's peace out, see you later, I'm leaving church, and I'll talk trash about it on my way out the door and on my social media. See, but Jesus isn't going to just become who you and I want him to be. He's only going to be who he is, because if you created Jesus that's what you can think of in your mind, that is a very small and limited Jesus. And you know what the Bible calls it? An idol is what that is. So look, check this out. Christ followers who put their hope in political parties to change our nation rather than spiritual transformation through prayer are going to be disappointed because you cannot legislate morality and spirituality. Look, vote your conscience. Be involved, but do not place your hope in politics. Married people who want a different spouse, and you're married to one person, but you really want another person, and what you do is you try and manipulate God into blessing your adulterous agenda. He won't do that. He doesn't change the truth of his word. Singles who want God to bless your relationships without submitting to his standards of sexual purity will be disappointed. You have a different agenda than what he has. People who want God to bless their finances without making the painful decisions of sacrifice will be disappointed. Get on board with his agenda. People who uh, want Jesus to do like this miraculous healing in their lives in your time frame will be disappointed because he may not do that and he may not do it in your time frame, if at all. And spiritual investigators who think that Jesus is going to be like their personal magician and do a little trick or a miracle for them to convince them may be disappointed if you're not willing to read the Bible for yourself, read some Christian books by notable scholars, and really look into this and see if it's legit and for real. And I want to show you the effect that our agendas have on Jesus' heart. Look with me at Luke's gospel, chapter 19, verse 41. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and he saw the city ahead, he began to weep. Can you see his heart breaking as he says, how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace but now it's too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Look, his heart was breaking of all people, the people who had the Bible, the Old Testament of the Bible, the people that memorized it and they knew it, yet because of their selfish agendas, their agendas hid the truth of God and the real peace of God from their eyes. And it broke Jesus' heart to see his own tribe reject who he was for who they wanted him to be. Now, what happened in those moments? You know, a lot of people would think, well, God brings down his wrath right there in the moment, right? I mean, some people think, well, when they uh, embraced their own agenda and rejected Jesus' agenda, that lightning's gonna strike and uh, the city of Jerusalem's gonna go into pandemonium. You know, donkeys are gonna crash into each other and uh, all manner of weird things are gonna happen, but nothing like that happened at all. We don't immediately experience the consequences of our agendas. It takes some time. I learned this when I was a teenager. I had this agenda for my Friday nights where I would have these friends spend the night, and what we would do is we would wait till my parents went to sleep, and then we would sneak out the window 
and we would go run around town and cause trouble and wreak havoc and, you know, goof off as teenagers. We were, we were running around town all night long. My parents didn't know it. By the way, teenagers, don't do what Pastor Doug did. Don't do that stuff, okay? You're, you'll get in trouble. But, uh, what happened, I, I did it for like over a year. And I'd had these friends spend the night almost every Friday night and one night until one night. Here's where it goes down, right? So we go out the window. And if you jumped out of my back window, you'd be in the backyard of my parents' house. And then we went around the side of the house to the front yard. And the cheerleading squad was in my front yard. They're like rolling my house with those toilet paper rolls. You know how they do. And they're like, oh, I'm so mad. So anyways, I walk, we walk around the corner and they see us. And I'm, I'm just trying to just chill. Don't make noise. Okay, don't, don't make noise. And my dad will wake up and that won't be good. Okay. And, but I'm not, and we walk in, they get scared and cheerleaders are, I don't know what got into them. They're just like, Yee! they start yelling, they start squealing. And just, so uh, then my parents wake up. Okay. My parents go into my room because they're wondering where my friend, uh, you, know, you know, if we're okay. And uh, so they're looking in my bedroom and they see these lame dummies that we put in my bed, you know, that we put the covers over it to make it look like we were in bed if they came and checked on us and they pull it up and they see the lame dummy with the stupid wig there, you know, and, and so they run. Uh, and so meanwhile, the cheerleaders are running into their escape van. And so I run to the escape van and they're laughing, giggling and all this kind of thing. They jump in the escape van. I jump on the front of the van like a stupid teenager and she takes off and all of a sudden then she slams the brakes on. I come crashing down. They speed off, giggling, laughing, and and then I get up, shake it off after I'd come crashing down, and who's standing? My dad's standing there. See, my godless agenda didn't come crashing down overnight, but over time, didn't it? I thought, it's all good. We did it all the time. I'll be doing this for the rest of my life in their house. But it came crashing down not overnight, but over time. And a godless agenda does that. It comes crashing down over time, not overnight. And do you, uh, do you think that you're getting away with a godless agenda right now? I mean, some people that I've met think, man, I'm too slick, I'm too sophisticated, I'm too well-connected. But you and I are both accountable for our spiritual journey before God. Eventually, maybe years later, our ungodly agendas do come crashing down, and that's precisely what happened to the Jewish people. And I want to show you, after these Jewish people rejected Jesus' agenda, he made a prediction. He made a prophecy about what was going to happen to them as a result of their rejection of who he was. And I want to show you the prediction in Luke chapter 19. Verse 43, Jesus said, before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. And Jesus made that prediction and 40 years later, in 70 AD, you can look it up in the history books, the Romans came into Jerusalem, they tore down the Jewish temple, it came crashing down as the Romans came in with a vengeance and crushed Jerusalem. And it's just like our agendas, 
They come crashing down over time, not just overnight. In fact, I walked in the city of Jerusalem and saw the very ruins where those huge Herodian stones had been chiseled and pushed off of that wall. And that is a picture of the ultimate demise of a godless agenda in this life. Now, we've talked about the misunderstanding of the Jewish people where they had this political agenda that was not a part of Jesus' agenda, but what part did they get right on Palm Sunday? They got right the part where they praised Jesus for who he was and shouted words of affirmation and praise. Look at Luke chapter 19, verse 39. It says, But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying these things like that. Pharisees didn't like it that Jesus was receiving the praise. He replied, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. See, what Jesus knew, that as he was entering into Jerusalem, what he was about to do was one of the most significant events, that is the crucifixion, one of the most significant events in all of history for all time. And if people didn't praise him for what he was about to do, then even the very creation, the trees and the rocks, would have cried out and shouted honor and glory to Jesus for what he was about to do. But what you've got to understand about this agenda thing is that even Jesus had to lay down his own agenda and submit it before the Lord. Do you know that? He had to submit himself to God the Father. That's why he was both God, but he was also human being. He was man, both. One and the same. And let me take you to the text where Jesus lays his agenda down in Mark chapter 14. Look at verse 35 on screen. He's in this excruciating all-nighter prayer session. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass by. That is his crucifixion. He didn't want to do it. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. You see what's taking place there? Is that Jesus knows that if God can do anything, why can't God make a way for me to escape going to that Roman crucifixion and experiencing the pain of that? He's like, God, please let this cup pass from me. I don't want to drink of the cup of suffering. Please take it away. But where Jesus ultimately came to was the place of submission to God the Father where he said, Father, it's not my will, but it's yours to be done. He did not put a condition upon his obedience to the Lordship of Christ, even if it meant, uh, the Lordship of God, even if it meant he would have to drink of the cup of excruciating pain and suffering. And one of the things that we know is that the reason that Jesus had to go through excruciating pain physically, emotionally, and worst of all, the spiritual part of it was so that you and I could have a relationship with God. And if you just simply in your own heart and mind right now believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin, you can become a child of God if you've never done that. But I wanna challenge you to do something today. You have these little palm leaves, and what these represent are your agendas, your agenda, my agenda. And we're going to have a prayer time as Jesse sings here in just a minute. And what I'm going to challenge you to do 
is to take your agenda. If you're in the front room, bring it here to the front. Just lay it down here. If you're in the back room, take it up to uh, where the TVs are there. Those are your prayer stations on either side of the rooms back there, and just lay down your palm branch there. But don't do that flippantly. Because, you know, when we lay down our agendas, sometimes we may lose things that we feel like are important to us right now. And for some people, it's laying down an agenda. It's like, God, I've been trying to justify this sin that's in my life, but I'm going to lay it down before you and trust you with it. I lay down a romantic relationship I know is wrong, or I, I, I lay down my stipulation that you got to, like, bless me with more money or something, or I'm not going to follow you, or I'm going to lay down uh, my spouse that I've just been so frustrated with, and um, I'm not going to make that a condition by which I follow you, but, Lord, I'm just going to lay that agenda before you. Or uh, someone's here just to impress their girlfriend today. It's like, you got to lay down your agenda. But look, remember I said, don't do that flippantly. What I want you to understand is I don't get some, like, more kudos if more people come up and lay down a palm branch at the front of a room somewhere. And I want you to think long and hard about submitting your agenda before God because I can remember some years ago when I decided I wanted God more than an addiction that I was struggling with. And I said, God, I want more of you. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes, go through whatever it takes to get free of this issue in my life, to get more of you. And you know what happened after I prayed a dangerous prayer? I actually lost my ministry and had to leave the ministry for a few years in order to go through some intensive process in which I could get freedom from my struggle, my issue, and get more of God. I'm going to show you a version of the prayer that I prayed on screen, and, and here's the dangerous prayer right here. God, I give you permission, which, by the way, he doesn't need permission to do anything, but that just shows our heart in submission to him. But it says, God, I give you permission to do whatever it takes in my life to exchange my agenda for yours. And you think long and hard about praying that prayer. Don't just do it because you feel something in the moment. You may feel something, and that may be the conviction and the work of the Holy Spirit of God in your heart and in your spirit. But you think about it and consider it before you get up out of that chair and lay down that agenda before him because it is a commitment in your heart to his lordship. So let's stand up together now and sing. And as you're compelled by God's Spirit, you come and lay those agendas before the Lord. Father, I thank you for these moments right now. And it's a little bit overwhelming when I think about what we many have knelt down on our knees in humility before you, have recognized that you're in charge and we are so not. And as we bow before you, I know people have laid down these little branches and stuff, but I know that this is more than just a branch here. These are like significant relationships and things in our hearts, agendas that we've held on to. Some of these things are like coping me mechanisms and things that get us through the day a lot of times. And we're laying it all down before you to say, we want more you, more of you then we want any of these one things that bring us some level of satisfaction in this life. And I know that these are holy things to you as we lay them down before you and trust you. 
But one of the things we want to acknowledge at the same time, Lord, is that you are a giver and not a taker. And that anytime we lay down anything of significance in our lives, that you are a greater gift than whatever we'd been holding on to. And so the best we know how, God, in our limited, finite minds and hearts, we absolutely submit these agendas to you as Lord of all, knowing that you're a good, perfect, heavenly Father that never bails out on us, never rolls out on us, never abuses, hurts, harms us in any way. But you'd never ask us to give something up that you don't have a treasure, an eternal one that is significant in the kingdom now and also in the kingdom to come for eternity. So thank you for your goodness. And we willingly say, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. Jesus, you are Lord. And all the Caesars of our world, political powers, agendas, they're not Lord. Here, Jesus is Lord. There is no other name on heaven or on earth by which we can be saved than Jesus. And it is you we worship. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.